What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR number 93. Today we are talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We are jumping over to that NFC South. This is the last full division that we've got to do for our team preview series. Uh, we have done, what is it, uh, 27 teams so far. We still have to do the NFC South and the Cleveland Browns. Um, like I said, we're talking about the Bucks here. 2020 Super Bowl champs came up short last year in the divisional round against the eventual Super Bowl champion LA Rams and you know I've had to take a couple of days off from recording this week things really just you know gotten a little bit busy in the personal life and I've been sitting here the last two days you know really kind of trying to rack my brain about how I want to approach this episode you know are there any narratives or headlines that I can really you know focus on here that you guys haven't already had forced down your throats by ESPN over the last week or two. I mean, with the whole Brady saga of, you know, the retirement back in February and March, I think 40 day hiatus, then returning to the Bucks, um, you know, revoking his uh, retirement, however you want to put it. Um, and then off-season drama, you know, there's never a shortage of things to talk about with Brady now being gone from the last 11 days of training camp. I'm recording this Tuesday, 23rd. Yesterday, Monday, he did finally return after 11 days away. I wish I could give you guys concrete answers. I mean, everybody's just speculating on Twitter and on radio this week. Was he on a family vacation? Was there something going on, a health issue in the family? I don't know. You know, I'm going to leave that for the mainstream networks to kind of pontificate about. And I'm just going to kind of move along, focus on what we do know and try and break this team down, you know, from a roster standpoint and from a gambling standpoint, from a fantasy standpoint. That's what we do here. So, again, I mentioned this team very good the last two years, obviously, um, since Brady coming over. Uh, 13 and four last year, tied for the most wins in the NFL. Uh, finished first in their division, second in the NFC. Um, second seed no longer gets you that first round buy since they converted to a 14 team playoff format. So that wild card weekend, they had to play uh, what I really like to refer to as a technicality game against the Eagles because Philly had no shot there. Unfortunately for me. 31-15, easy win over Philly, and then they get bounced next week at home, 30-27 to to the Rams. Um, it is interesting, that game, bit of a blowout until the fourth quarter, Brady and the boys rallying, coming back. Really exciting fourth quarter, one of the best quarters of the entire playoffs, but those first three quarters, real snooze fest. That Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay team just really did not show up until it was too little too late in that game. Uh, this team, you guys know, very good. Um, second offense in the NFL in both yards and points per game, scoring 30.1 a game and moving the ball for 405 yards per game. Man, that's crazy. NFL uh, offenses these days. Um, tied for fifth in points per game scoring defense uh, with 20.8 points per game allowed, and they gave up the 13th most yards per game at 331.5. Turnover margin, very good, plus 10 on the season, sixth best in the league, and that would explain why they gave up the 13 most yards, but only fifth most points. That turnover margin, Brady plays clean football, and they got some ball hawks on this. The defense is loaded, too. All everybody you know, talks about with this team is Brady and the receivers and the weapons. Um, that defense pretty stacked. We can run through personnel later, you know, maybe once we, um, you know, talk free agency ads and draft a little bit, we'll dive into it, but really talent at every level on that defense. So this is a complete team, complete roster. 
Um, overturn at coaching, uh, Bruce Arians, um, retiring, I guess, more or less, uh, shifting to a front office consultation role. I think he's involved in the conversations. Don't exactly know how involved in terms of influencing, you know, draft picks and, um, free agency. But, you know, I heard a quote earlier in the off season that really Bruce Arians, part of his favorite part of coaching is building the team. And so it makes sense. Maybe he doesn't want to commit the, uh, the man hours at this point. He is older and coaching for anyone who has had an inside look at that industry. It is a grind. It's much more of a time commitment to be a coach than it is a player. Cause you're at practice, you're at the games, but that you have to do so much film study as a coach and you're, you're, those guys really grind at the professional level. So don't want to spend too much time on the psychology of Bruce Arians here, but um, a lot of speculation was there, you know, did him and Brady get along the most? Was this a move where it was due to the Brady relationship um, Bruce Arians also said publicly, you know, he wanted to make sure that he would set Todd Bowles up with a good team. He didn't want to, you know, wait until Brady leaves and then kind of leave a rebuild or, you know, just a, a bridge year or two there for Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is a guy that's been with Bruce Arians almost throughout Arians' whole tenure as a head coach. Bowles got an opportunity as the uh, head coach of the um, Jets through 2015 through 2018, and it didn't work out, but that's the Jets, guys. It's it's one of those franchises you just put a big asterisk next to any head coach. Um, I wouldn't say any starting QB because we all know Darnold sucks and, and Zach Wilson sucks, but the coaches, it's not usually working out there. A lot of people, a lot of turnover. Bowles is a guy I believe in, had a successful defense in Arizona with Bruce Arians, and the defense has been great the last three years in Tampa Bay. Um, he'll take over as head coach here, and I think he's set up for much more success than he was in New York, obviously. Um, what else? Offensive coordinator, still Byron Leftwich, although really, can we just should we just pay Brady the offensive coordinator salary at this point too? Because what's Byron Leftwich going to tell Tom Brady about quarterbacking and play calling that Brady doesn't all right? You know, you guys get my point. Uh, there is no defensive coordinator on this team. <clears throat> As of my latest research, um, Todd Bowles coming from that defensive background, he should be running the show over there. He's going to run that 3-4 defense, and they've got talent, man. I mean, that front seven is really good, and then they have some dogs in the secondary. But um, let's let's hold off, but really that linebacking core, and, and with Vita Vea nose tackle, they're stuffing the run on this team. Let's go into the personnel. Let's talk key losses first as far as uh, free agency, offseason losses, things like that. Gronk retired. As of right now, Gronk is not a football player. A um, lot of speculation he could come back. Uh, him and Brady both at this point, everybody's just like, well, maybe they don't want to do training camp. And maybe that's the I don't know. That doesn't, to me, if I'm in the locker room, like I get it. You know, you don't maybe need to be at training camp to win. And I'm not saying that Brady's just like taking the week off. That's not what I'm saying. But for everybody that wants to put this this speculation out there that these guys have just told the Bucks, hey, I'll show up in a month and we'll be ready. I don't really think that that's how an NFL locker room operates or an NFL coaching staff. I, you know, for me, if I'm on the roster and I'm there every day putting in the work, I get it. You're Tom Brady. But, like, you know, have some accountability, have some culpability. You know, that's not good for chemistry and relationships, I really don't think. Maybe I'm just too far outside of the situation, but... I don't really see a guy like Gronk saying, yeah, I'll show up in November 
I don't know. Feels weird to me. Everybody that wants to go there, uh, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong, but that's not really my vibe. I feel like if Gronk wanted to be there, he'd be there right now. And that guy has so much opportunity to do things outside of football. In t- I mean, what did he host the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards last year with fucking iCarly? So like Gronk can do anything. He can go over to wrestling. He can be some goon on E television doing celebrity interviews or red carpet shit. The guy's got the commercials as much of a terrible actor as he is. He's going to get paid to do it because, yeah, not a good actor, but entertaining as fuck. So why not, you know? Um, but the the fact that people want to say these guys are just trying to skip out on the early work, I, I just don't see that really, you know, playing out like that in an NFL locker room. That's just my take. So they, they lost Gronk here. Um, who else? The offensive line really took a beating this offseason and – you know, we'll just loop it loop it all together in here. They lost offensive guard Alex Kappa to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Excuse me. Sorry, guys. The Bengals. Uh, he went and signed with Cincinnati. They really upgraded their O-line this offseason. Ali Marpet, the other offensive guard, went and retired. Um, he played a short career. I think only maybe four years with the Bucks. Went got his Super Bowl ring. Said, I'm out of here. No CTE for me. I'm going to, you know, be able to play with my grandkids when I get older. I'll make a couple of million dollars. I'll get a Super Bowl ring and I'll peace out. Um, so they lose both their starting offensive guards. And then so far in training camp, it seems like every day we're getting an update on the O line. They lost uh, center Ryan Jensen as well, already out for the year. He's on the IR with a training camp injury. That's a big piece. You've already lost both starting guards from last year and your starting center. And then it turns out their starting left guard, Aaron Stinney, also done right now um, for the season, I believe. So they're down to a rookie left guard starting. Uh, he was a, uh, let's see, second round pick for them, Luke Gadecki. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. And... Uh, it's interesting, you know, that offensive line, the way to, to disrupt Brady historically throughout his career has been internal pass rushing. I mean, as an Eagles fan here, it was something that I was really hoping that our defense could exploit in that Super Bowl 52 matchup because between Fletcher Cox and Timmy Jernigan and Bo Allen, I mean, we really had one of the best, uh, you know, internal pass rushing trios in the NFL. And, um, <clears throat> Sorry, guys, about my voice. I don't know what happened halfway through this episode here, but, you know, that offensive line, it's a concern here. Um, Tristan Wirfs has has been banged up in camp. He's he's playing. He's back to practicing, but there's been there was a scare that he could have been done for the year as well, and um, that's a lot of losses to this offensive line, not to get too bogged down, but you guys know I love talking O-line here. Uh, let's keep moving with the uh, the losses this offseason. Safety Jordan Whitehead is gone. Tight end O.J. Howard is gone, went to Buffalo. Running back Ronald Jones signed with the Chiefs. And punter uh, Bradley Pinion also gone. Not to mention Antonio Brown's meltdown at the end of the last regular season. Technically, it's not an offseason loss, but just compared to the roster in 2021 versus the 2022 team, no Antonio Brown. That's another weapon. You know, some turnover here. He lost Gronk and A.B. theoretically, as well as O.J. Howard. <clears throat> Just took a sip of water. Hopefully we can clear this throat up for you guys. But we got to keep moving. Key additions here. 
for this team. I mentioned that they lost Antonio Brown, and I think that uh, wide receiver Russell Gage kind of is that same um, at least archetype of a receiver. The smaller, shiftier, can stretch the field, can run the routes, can play the slot. Um, I thought it was a good pickup for them. Brady apparently kind of personally recruited that guy. Uh, they also recently brought in wide receiver Julio Jones. And to me, I didn't really see this coming at all. You know, I thought Julio would have made sense more for the Packers and the Colts, if you ask me, um, in terms of teams needing a veteran uh, pass catcher. You know, this team already pretty loaded with weapons. My biggest thing when they signed Julio was, man, that that could be a big indication that Chris Godwin – uh, maybe the injury not really, you know, not showing the best signs to be returning. Last I Googled and last I looked up on Twitter, I guess Chris Godwin is back to participating in team drills as well as, um, a, I believe, a full-time participant in seven-on-seven seven drills right now. Excuse me, not team drills, individual drills. He is not doing full team drills and team scrimmage right now. He is doing individual drills and seven on seven. Hopefully next step, team drills, full team uh, activity. Um, but he suffered an ACL tear in week 15 of last year against the Saints. And, you know, that late of a season, that significant of a soft tissue lower body injury. Again, I'm not saying this is the case because I guess he's practicing. But early in the offseason, there were reports Chris Godwin might not be healthy until November or December. And then the Julio Jones signing comes about a month after I'm hearing that report. And it's kind of just an accumulation of information that caught my uh caught my radar a little bit here but we'll see you know that 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 really puts them four deep at the receiving core plus they've got depth behind those guys so a lot of weapons here a lot of firepower for Brady uh they also signed Akeem Hicks I failed to mention and Dominic and Sue no longer on this team I believe he's still a free agent I think that's why I don't have him down he hasn't been signed by anyone else but they lost Sue on that front seven they bring in Akeem Hicks who I think at this point in his career you know, pretty lateral move. I don't think it's made or downgrade at all. Akeem Hicks has been a really good player in Chicago. Sue's good, but I think Hicks, you know, they rotate guys on that on that front um, quite a bit there on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, they added to it with a rookie defensive end, and they've got a couple of young pass rushers at outside linebackers. So uh, shouldn't be too worried about that D-line. Safety Keon O'Neal, they add to the secondary. He right now is... Second on the depth chart behind Mike Edwards at free safety. Um, who else did they bring in? Uh, cornerback Logan Ryan adds some depth to that secondary. He just continues to find his way onto rosters with Tom Brady, so good for him. He's actually playing strong safety now. Looks like he moved over from corner to safety in the later end of his career, maybe losing a step in that uh, top-end speed there. And offensive guard Fred Johnson was the last major addition that I have written down here. They re-signed a number of guys. This has been a team that's really been focused on just keeping um, keeping the Super Bowl window open, right? Like it would make sense that they're just really focusing on keeping the in-house guys satisfied and keeping this core team together. So Leonard Fournette got brought back after, uh, yeah, probably the most productive year of his career last year. Um, really stepped up with Ronald Jones kind of getting phased out of the offense. Uh, defensive end William Golston got brought back. Quarterback Blaine Gabbert, second-string QB, got brought back. Uh, running back Gio Bernard, defensive end Pat O'Connor, and long snapper Zach Triner because we got to give the long snappers some love. They also re-signed Ryan Jensen. He was a free agent, but they ended up working on a deal about the week after Brady came back. That's coincidental. 
Uh, that said, yeah, he's done for the year. So unfortunate. Again, that offensive line, major question marks. They were the fifth-ranked offensive line coming into training camp by Sharp Football. Uh, not probably top five anymore, right? I mean, a lot of turnover there. Like I said, the left guard and the center right now backups as opposed to the starting unit coming into training camp. Plus Alex Kappa and Ali Marpet gone. That's four positional changes on that offensive line over the last um, eight months. So that's wild. Uh, let's talk draft round two, their first pick, 33rd overall. They did not have a first-round pick here. I believe they traded back. Um, the Jets, I think. The Jets moved up, I want to say. Anyways, um, Jaguars, probably. Doesn't matter, guys. Defensive end Logan Hall out of Houston was the first uh, pick that this team took. Um yeah, they add to that defensive line. They try and get younger. Hakeem Hicks is no spring chicken. Uh, Golston, not the youngest guy either. They want to be able to plug that line up to let the linebackers roam free. Vita Vea, I mentioned there on that D-line, really holding it down. And then they got outside linebacker Joe Tryon Shoinka um, and Shaquille Barrett as the pass rushers. So Logan Hall fitting more into that 3-4 defensive end mold. Um, round two at the end of the round, offensive tackle Luke Gadecki out of Central Michigan. He is now starting at left guard after the injury to Aaron Stinney. Uh, round three, running back Rashad White out of Arizona State. This kid, I liked his tape. I'm not gonna lie. We'll talk about him a little in the fantasy segment at the end of the episode. Um, this kid looked good. He's fast. He runs a 4-4-40. He's drafted in round three, which is any running back taken in those top three rounds, I consider relatively significant draft capital. I know it seems weird because you think of a guy drafted in the third round, like kind of a hit or miss guy as far as is he going to have an impact? Is he even going to be a relevant guy in the NFL? But for running backs, I mean, we only, we didn't see any running backs go in the first round. So in terms of like positional market value, third round is relatively significant investment for a running back. Leonard Fournette, we mentioned he had the best year of his career. But outside of that, I mean, Brady also has always been kind of a committee guy. He's always had a guy that can catch passes. Fournette stepped up into that role last year, but that's not really his archetype. That's not really what he's meant to be doing. <clears throat> I just think some youth, some more speed in this backfield. Rashad White's a guy I'll keep my eye on. And uh, reports that Fournette came into camp overweight. I don't know how up-to-date that is. I don't know if he's looking like he's back into shape. They've been keeping him pretty quiet. And like I said, the only fucking information you can find on the Bucks this week is about Tom Brady. It's been really hard to research this team, looking for any last sort of nuggets, any training camp updates. It's all Brady, Brady, Brady. It's like... Okay, we get it. LeBron, Brady, and the Dallas Cowboys. We fucking get it. Chill out, ESPN. Round four, this team took a tight end, Cade, Go Cade Otten, out of Washington. And I'm mentioning that because uh, fucking Gronk uh, retired, and right now the starter is Cameron Brait, and then Kyle Rudolph got brought in as a veteran. But, he, you know, the... The chance of Cameron Brait, who hasn't shown much in his career, especially with Brady and Kyle Rudolph, who is washed up at this point, most likely. Kate Otten, a guy to keep your eye on. Rookie tight ends don't usually produce right away, and there's so many receivers. I'm not interested for fantasy, but he could be the starting tight end by next year if these two guys ahead of him don't produce. And then round four, punter Jake 
Camarda out of uh, University of Georgia. They took a punter in the fourth round, so I just wanted to tell you guys about that. Don't ever understand that move when you can get a guy undrafted. Even Matt, Matt Ariza was talked about as being like this elite punting talent, and he went two rounds later. That doesn't make any sense to me, and I've never heard. Maybe I don't do enough work on my punters. Uh, he went to Georgia, so he's probably really good, but I don't get it. Let's not spend too much time on that. Strength of schedule, seventh easiest in the NFL, according to the website that I find my strength of schedule ratings on. Um, the division outside of the Buccaneers has the lowest combined win totals out of any division in the NFL. Uh, the Bucks are at 11.5 for wins. The over is actually plus 105. The under is favored at minus 125. That's shifted this offseason from minus 110 in both directions about a month ago. Um, so this team being projected to win a 11 or 12 games this year we'll look at their schedule week one is dallas i believe for the second year in a row dallas starts off with the buccaneers that's going to be the sunday night game for us on september 11th uh week one and that always feels awkward to say um especially if you hear the players like there's a great sound clip of mark andrews in the preseason game saying like we're coming for the jets on september 11th and it's like dude you probably should have rephrased that a little bit more um, Jesus, especially, New, you know, New York City, Jets, September 11th. Calm down, Mark Andrews. Um, yeah, the schedule, uh, start with Dallas. Um, the Saints, week two. You know, the Saints always beat this Bucks team. The Saints, um, I believe, like, 5-1 and one against Brady since coming over. Um, I think... Uh, he got them in the playoffs. Outside of that, they it might even be 6-1. and one. They might have been swept every year. So the Saints, for some reason, know how to play Brady in this Bucks team. So that's always a tough divisional matchup. But again, Falcons and Panthers in the division, that should be four wins for this veteran Bucks team. So Cowboys, Saints, Packers, that's a tough first three weeks. Then the Chiefs, that's a tough first month, very tough first month. With Brady missing training camp, with maybe not a fully healthy Godwin, Mike Evans dealing with a hamstring right now, maybe Fournette's fat ass still isn't conditioned. It could be a slower start, maybe, um, if they end up uh, beating Dallas, losing to the Saints like they always do, and then splitting between the Packers and Chiefs. We've seen Brady teams in the past start out 2-2 two and two and then really get hot over the back end of the season. Could be looking like that. So let's keep running through it, okay? Uh, Cowboys, Saints, Packers, Chiefs. Falcons, Steelers, Panthers, Ravens. So outside of the Ravens, maybe three wins there. Ravens they can beat, but will be tough. Rams then, so two back-to-back. -back. Ravens and Rams is tough again. But then we got our stretch here. Uh, Seahawks, Browns, Saints, 49ers, Bengals, Cardinals, Panthers, Falcons. There are some challenging teams on there. It, to, like Going over, it doesn't seem like the seventh easiest. I think that kind of gets weighted down by the projections for the Panthers and Falcons being so extremely low. Because realistically, they have to play the NFC West, they have to play the Saints twice, and they have to play the AFC North and the Packers. That's not that easy. Um, that said, I'm not really going to fade this team, even though there are a lot of competitive teams on here. The Bucks can be anyone in the league at any time, and I'm not going to go and pick against a team with this much talent and with Tom Brady 
Over under 11 and a half. I can't give you much here as far as a confident pick, to be honest. I don't pick every over under with the most confidence. I'll end up betting maybe six to eight of these every. Yeah, last year I took eight over unders on win totals. I hit seven of them. I'm not going to bet all 32. So I'm probably not going to bet this one. I did have them over 11 and a half wins last year, and that was an easy casher. Um, so this is a team I've backed before, but considering. That schedule to me does seem harder than the ranking implies, and I don't know. The offensive line could struggle early in the season. Like I said, this team could potentially get off to a slower start, and then you're sitting there scratching and clawing to finish like 9-2 and two, um, to hit that 12 wins. So we'll see. Not a strong play for me. Um, they are obviously going to be in the playoffs if they stay healthy. They're uh, the massive favorite to win their division at minus 270. Um, the conference odds are plus 340. They have moved down. They were plus 320 about a month ago. And the Super Bowl odds have been consistent at plus 750. They've been there pretty much all offseason. Uh, the Bucks are the favorite in the NFC, and the Bills are the favorite in the AFC. They're the top two favorites for the Super Bowl. So, And if you ask me, I've gone on before about how the NFL is narrative-driven and how this is basically pro-wrestling at this point. All outcomes are probably predetermined by the Goodell bot. And, uh, yeah, it would make a lot of sense to send Brady off into the sunset with a Super Bowl match against his former divisional rival that he's tormented for 20 years. Passing of the torch game to Josh Allen or Brady goes out on top one last time over Buffalo. Doesn't that grab you? Doesn't that get the Twitter clicks up? Doesn't that get the retweets and the engagements and the impressions up? Doesn't that grab headlines? Doesn't that get you to tune in a little bit more on sports radio that week? Maybe keep SportsCenter on while you're doing your work? <sighs> it could happen, guys. Uh, the odds to make the playoffs here for the Bucks minus 600, yes. Uh, odds to miss the playoffs, no, plus 450. Only happens if Brady, um, you know, falls off a cliff or, you know, Something catastrophic happens, so probably not looking at that. Let's, uh, yeah, let's move on. Let's talk fantasy. Let's talk about these players. This offense, obviously, a lot of moving moving pieces. So this this offensive breakdown maybe might take a little bit longer than some of the other ones we've done recently, especially in those Texans and Jags episodes that I know you guys caught. I know you guys listened to those whole episodes. I know it. I know you wouldn't miss those. So in terms of fantasy, honorable mentions for this offense, there's quite a bit. This team, I mentioned, they have a lot of weapons and a lot of high-caliber weapons, specifically in that receiving core. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Julio Jones in the same receiving core. Like, at times, all three perennial elite receivers for fantasy and real-life football. That's insane. And then Russell Gage ain't no slouch. Um, but the honorable mentions in that receiving core, the guys that will not be starters but could occasionally score, show up, fill a spot if you need them to in terms of depth. They made plays last year or previously in their career. Tyler Johnson, Brashad Perriman, and Scooty Scotty Miller. Cyril Grayson's made some plays from time to time as well. But none of these guys you're going to be targeting for fantasy. Blaine Gabbard is a backup quarterback. There are two running backs that are buried on this depth chart that will not really make an impact for you. Keyshawn Vaughn and Gio Bernard. Keyshawn Vaughn, basically just a younger version of Gio Bernard. He's a guy I've had optimism for in the past. He's made flash plays, I guess, drafted to be that James White role in this offense for Brady. Hasn't necessarily panned out. 
depth pieces right now, special teams contributors, maybe get involved in some third down work. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Kyle Rudolph currently being drafted tight end 26 at average draft position. He's the second tight end right now behind Cameron Brait. I'm not going to be targeting either of these guys. The touchdown opportunity will not be there with big physical receivers like Mike Evans and Julio Jones on the team. And even if uh, the tight end position was of value in this offense, it's not really uh, 100% guaranteed which one of these guys will see the more dominant snap count. So let's not really waste our time on the tight ends in this episode. Who are we talking about? Brady, Fournette, Rashad White, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, Bray, but not really. So Brady, Brady is probably my favorite uh, quarterback to draft in fantasy since coming over to the Bucks. He does not seem to move up draft boards for some strange unknown reason to me. I've drafted him every year since he's been on the Buccaneers because when you go, dude, it is so transparent to me. This is this offensive cast for the Buccaneers is so much better than any fucking support system of weapons he's ever had in New England. We've seen Brady throw for 5,000 yards and 45 touchdowns. What is it? He's played, what, 22, 23 seasons? How many times has he gone for 5,040? Like, what more do you want from the guy? He is fantasy gold. He's actually being drafted later than he was last year in fantasy drafts. After leading the league in passing touchdowns and passing yards, why isn't anybody drafting Brady? Like, why is Brady going so far behind all these? Joe Burrow is being drafted five rounds ahead of Tom Brady this year. What the fuck kind of world is that? Why does that make sense? Who is doing that? Tom Brady is such a great fantasy value. He's going 86th overall in your fantasy drafts as the quarterback 10 this year. He was being drafted 68th overall last year as the QB 9. So that's a reflection on how quarterback market a little bit deeper this year. You can sit back a little bit more QB 9 versus QB 10, almost 20 draft spots behind. But again, he's going two rounds later this year than he did last year. He finished as the number three overall fantasy quarterback last year. 17 games played. The guy doesn't get injured since they made all these rules to protect him. If you guys don't realize, you can't go low on a quarterback anymore because Tom Brady tore his ACL once. And you can't hit QBs in the head anymore because Tom Brady got a concussion once. But uh, the point is, he's going to sit in the pocket. He's not going to extend, make plays, take big hits. He gets the ball out quick. The guy eats avocado ice cream and avocado tequila. I don't know if he's ever heard of a cheat day in his life. I don't know if he's ever had, to, had a cold or the flu or anything. So quarterback three in fantasy last year, quarterback three in points per game at fantasy last year. He's got better weapons than he did last year, minus Gronk, I guess. But hey, as long as you're 6'5 and you can stand in the back of the end zone, that's kind of all it takes with Brady. 21st uh, ranked fantasy schedule for the quarterback position doesn't concern me at all. It's Thomas fucking Brady. Finished 58.8% of his starts last year inside the top six at the quarterback position on the week. That was the number one ranked consistent top six quarterback. He finished top 12 64.7% of his starts, third best top 12 consistency rate. And he only gave you two games outside of the top 24 at the quarterback position. And those are most likely games where Leonard Fournette happens to run for three touchdowns. 
and Brady just doesn't get you the TDs. But he's most likely passing for at least 280, 300 a week. He's not going to get you the rushing upside. you got to hope for a QB sneak because he's just not doing it. I think he had an 11-yard run last year and, uh, and like bragged about it in a press conference because he had a fucking 11-yard run. But Brady is an elite fantasy quarterback. I think I've been vocal enough. You guys get my point. I don't understand why he's going in the ninth round of your fantasy drafts. Just, I'll grab him everywhere. If he's there, I will grab him everywhere, and I won't reach on an early quarterback as long as I can get Brady that late in my drafts. I won't. I don't need a guy with rushing upside. The Jalen Hurtses, the Lamars, the Kylers, they're very exciting. Brady finished ahead of almost all of them last year. Um, running backs, Leonard Fournette and Rashad White. Rashad White is a rookie. We have no consistency metrics. We have no data on last year's fantasy season because he was not drafted. He's going 132 overall, running back 46 in your drafts. I don't hate that if you want to take him as your last running back in your fantasy leagues and see what you got. I think we'll be able to tell relatively early how Fournette's looking, and if he doesn't have it this year... Which, let's be real, I mean, we've seen running backs drop off from time to time um, as they get early. Yeah, see, I just Googled his age. I was wondering, 27. See, 27 is kind of that new 30 for running backs. You have to start worrying about the age and the injury risk and the, the, the body deterioration and the mileage that these guys have at 27 years old. It's unfortunate, but that's just how the game has evolved over the last few years. Running backs don't have long careers, and he's coming up on that kind of age where you start to circle the drain. You kind of start to wonder, is he coming off the cliff? He's already had, you know, uh, fitness issues, you know, throughout his career, and uh, again, reports that he's overweight in camp. I'm just saying there's opportunity. There's a path for Rashad White, and he's clearly more explosive, to be honest. Uh, the one thing that I don't see happening is uh, Leonard Fournette losing his goal line role. Leonard Fournette will be the goal line back for this team, even if he weighs 280 pounds. That's just most likely probably what's going to happen. But Fournette, I don't think I can draft him this year, and maybe I regret it because he finished as the running back six in fantasy leagues last year. Running back four overall in points per game in PPR leagues. So uh, elite production last year from Leonard Fournette. I don't think he has the passing volume this year that he did last year. He was actually this team's fifth leading receiver um, and actually third in terms of receptions. He had 69 catches last year for 450 yards, and I just don't see Leonard Fournette ever catching 69 passes again in his career. There's no way, dude. Leonard Fournette will never catch 40 passes again in his career, if you ask me. Um, so, and especially a lot of that, you know, they leaned on him to catch passes a lot down the stretch while their receivers were banged up. They had to play a couple games with, like, Tyler Johnson getting like a lot of snaps because again, Godwin torn ACL, Antonio Brown, Looney bin, no Russell Gage, no Julio Jones. Uh, you know, Mike Evans almost always has a hamstring issue for some reason. Like, um, they had to lean on Fournette a lot to pick up the slack in the checkdown game is what I'm saying. I don't think the receiving work is there. Fournette's being drafted 25th overall as the running back 14 this year in the middle of your third rounds, give or take. It's kind of the He's kind of that first of the running back dead zone. It's a very risky place to be looking for your running backs in fantasy drafts. I'm not really loving Fournette. I almost would rather take a shot on a guy 
fucking five rounds later, like a Chase Edmonds or an A.J. Dillon that could, I mean, A.J. Dillon could score as many touchdowns as Fournette on half the carries just based on his role in that Packers offense also. Fournette, eight rushing touchdowns last year. Ronald Jones is gone, but honestly, Rashad White probably better than Ronald Jones in my opinion. So, I don't know. Fournette, uh, last year going into your eighth round, is running back 38 overall. I mentioned finished sixth in fantasy at the running back position, 14 games, fourth in points per game. He, uh, the running backs in Tampa Bay, second hardest fantasy schedule this year. Another reason for me to have my doubts about Fournette's fantasy value. But in the 13th round of your draft, Rashad White to me is worth a gamble. Fournette last year finished top 12, 35.7% of his games. That was 18th most consistent top 12 running back. Uh, he also, though, came in a RB2, that's 13 through 24 on the week. Um, the ninth highest at another 35%. So all in all, top 24 in 71% of his games. Um, that was good for seventh most consistent top 24 finish. Again, that receiving baseline will not be there for him this year. I don't. I see more boomer bust touchdown dependency for him this year. Uh, 25 through 36 finish on the week, 14.3%. Another 14% busted outside of the top 36. So low bust rate again. I see him busting at a higher rate this year with Rashad White maybe stealing some carries. Ronald Jones lost his work last year because of fumbling issues, and if Rashad White doesn't show those issues, maybe we're not seeing the dominant workhorse role for Fournette again this year. It's, it's possible that we just saw his peak season in the NFL, if you ask me. Let's talk receivers. Uh, Mike Evans, I'm very interested in Mike Evans this year. I think he's going to give you wide receiver one production just like he has every year of his career. Um, has the guy ever gone beneath a thousand yards? I don't think so. What are we entering? Like year, year nine for Mike Evans. Um, I think possibly the longest, uh, longest streak in NFL history of a, a career with consecutive thousand yard seasons. He's done it every season. I hope I'm not getting those stats wrong. That's just off the top of my head, but this dude does nothing but produce. Um, he's going 26th overall this year, ninth at the wide receiver position, um, slightly higher than last year. I think part of that is due to the concerns with uh, Chris Godwin's ACL. Um, it's been kind of a pick your poison, who's your guy with this receiving duo the last few years. Uh, I believe 2020, Godwin came out on top. Last year it was Evans. Um, yeah, Ed, Evans finished uh, a wide receiver nine last year. Wide receiver nine overall in PPR leagues in 16 games played. It was 12th highest in points per game at the receiver position. Godwin, on the other hand, uh, going 60th overall, 24th in your fantasy drafts this year. And I just have a tough time drafting players that are coming into the season with injury concerns. I know he's a really good player, but for me, I'm not 100% sure on the health. It costs you a six-round pick which I think there's other pretty good receivers in that range. I think you can get Allen Robinson maybe a, a, a round earlier, who I trust more in that Rams offense. And with the addition of Julio Jones and Russell Gage, I'm not sure Godwin – Godwin is – at this point in his career, Godwin is better than Julio Jones, and he's always been better than Russell Gage. Um, but I have my concerns that he's, he's not going to get the volume. You know, he's what, – what's been his thing for this team is he's been the PPR guy. Mike Evans last year, 74 receptions. Godwin, 98 in two less games. So Godwin's going to get you the yardage and the receptions, but Mike Evans is going to outscore you touchdown-wise. So if, if Godwin's not getting 98 catches a season, which could be difficult, again, with the, uh, the loaded receiver room, 
Godwin has only scored 10 touchdowns in two years with Tom Brady, whereas Mike Evans has 27. Excuse me, Godwin has 12. So it's Mike Evans 27, Godwin 12 touchdowns over the last two seasons with Brady. So if you're asking me to take a guy, I'm much more comfortable leaning on Mike Evans, who is going to get double-digit touchdowns basically every year. His over-under for touchdowns this season on sportsbooks is 10.5, and and I'll take that over because that's just what Mike Evans does. The addition of Julio Jones may be a little concerning because he's kind of the same archetype as receiver, but the chemistry is there with Evans. I think he's still just the built-in number one on this team. So Godwin, again, 24th overall receiver in drafts this year after going 14th at wide receiver last year at 41 overall. Uh, finished last year tight end, or excuse me, wide receiver 15 in 14 games played, 8th in points per game. So actually outscoring Mike Evans in points per game. Again, the PPR upside is there, but if he doesn't get that volume, I think that Mike Evans, as far as his touchdown potential, uh, he's, he's, to me, the clear-cut top pass catching option for this offense it's not really a question for me anymore uh the wide receivers have the second easiest schedule in all of fantasy football wow for a team with this much talent and this much passing volume with that easy of a schedule for receivers wow you got to pay attention to these guys um so mike evans 37.5 percent of his games top 12 sixth best in consistency Finished the wide receiver two 25% of the time, 10th best. So that put him in the top 24, 62.5% of his games. Sixth most consistent top 24 finish at the receiver position. Only finished wide receiver three on the week in 12.5% of his games. That's two games. And then busted outside of the top 36 in four games, 25% of his season. I'll take that bust rate with a guy that's given me really elite consistency on the other end of it in terms of sixth highest rates inside the top 24 and sixth highest rate inside the top 12. He's got that wide receiver one week winning. I'm going to score two or three touchdowns upside. Chris Godwin last year, top 12 wide receiver, 28.6% of the time, 17th most consistent compared to Mike Evans, sixth highest rate inside that top 12. Uh, Mike, or excuse me, Chris Godwin, more frequently showing up in the wide receiver two category, 28.6% of the time, eighth most consistent. That put him 57.1% of the time inside the top 24 for receivers on the week, seventh best top 24 rate. So these two guys, sixth and seventh most consistent top 24 receivers, both supporting the same offense by the same QB. That also goes to show just how valuable Tom Brady is. Again, quarterback three last year being drafted QB 10. What are we doing, guys? I don't care how old he is. He's going to live to be 150. The guy's a fucking sea turtle. Um, Julio Jones did not play much last year. He played uh, 10 games, technically, uh, with limited snap counts. Um, not much to talk about in terms of metrics. He finished the wide receiver 92 last year, um, 78th in points per game. On the Titans, remember, not being able to stay healthy. He gave you one week inside the top 24. It was not a top 12 week. And outside of that, he finished outside of the top 36 and 8 out of his 10 games. You just kind of have to throw it out. You got to pay attention. Is he healthy? How's he looking in training camp? How much do you think he's going to be a part of this offense? Is he going to establish the chemistry with Brady right away? What's the target share going to look like? How healthy is Chris Godwin? Do they need to lean on Julio Jones, you know, more in the early parts of the season with Godwin not being totally healthy? I don't really have answers to any of that shit, guys. 
I don't know. He's going almost undrafted, so at very low risk. You know, take him with your last pick in the draft. Maybe don't take a kicker and see how the last week of training camp shakes out. 154 overall in drafts, wide receiver 57. There's no risk, so go ahead and take a shot. If he's the old Julio, you're going to get super upside, and he could easily replace or outdo Antonio production, Antonio Brown's production for this team. Um, yeah, uh, no, yeah. Not much more to talk about with Julio. I don't know, guys. Like, take your best guess. Again, low draft costs. He's going, you know, later than Russell Gage, and there's potential that Julio scores 10 touchdowns this year where Russell Gage has his role stolen as as soon as Godwin is healthy. Early in the offseason, I was really in on Russell Gage. That was before the Julio signing. I think that has cooled the waters. I don't think I can draft Russell Gage in the 11th round this year. Wide receiver 51 overall, 111 off the board. Um, had a decent season with Atlanta last year, kind of the last man standing for Atlanta in that passing core last year, finished wide receiver 38, 13 games played 36th at the wide receiver position in points per game. It's just, you know, we don't know what the roles look like for these guys or what the target share looks like. So I'm not sure I'm in on Russell Gage finished top 12, 28.6% of his games, 18th best last year. Finished wide receiver 2, 14%, tied for 39th, most consistent. Put him in the top 24, 42.9%, 23rd most consistent, top 24 rank in the NFL. Never finished wide receiver 3 and busted outside of the top 36 and 57% of his games. Boom bust guy in an offense with less of a guaranteed volume. And again, it comes down to Godwin's health. Just monitor monitor Godwin's health is like the most advice that I can give you on this receiving core because if Godwin's not going to be there for the start of the season, I'm much more inclined to take a shot on Gage or Jones. And then tight end, we're not touching these guys. Um, Daily Fantasy, streamer, maybe if you're desperate. Cam Brate hasn't done anything since Jameis Winston was there in Tampa. 183 off the board this year, tight end 25. Rudolph, tight end 26. Nobody knows what to do with these guys. Nobody wants these guys. Uh, Cambrate finished the tight end 28 last year in 16 games played, tight end 37 in points per game, has the 24th ranked tight end schedule for fantasy. Let's not waste our time, guys. So a lot of uh, weapons, a lot of opportunity through the air for this team. We got to keep our eye on Fournette's weight to see how the backfield plays out. How's this Rashad White kid looking in training camp and in the preseason? Let's pay attention to that because there's opportunity in this backfield for that White kid out of the third round. Go look at his film. He's fast. He's explosive. He had some nice runs there at Arizona State. He looks good. So I like the potential there in this team. Like I said, uh, you know, Fournette, you know, one biscuit away from playing offensive guard and 27 years old. We'll see how he holds up, but there's opportunity. And again, pay attention to Chris Godwin's injury to determine where the value is in that receiving room. This team will be good. I don't know if I can really endorse many of their futures, except the Super Bowl plus 750. Because, yeah, they could go. You know, it seems like Brady goes every other year. This roster is just as good as any in the NFL, pretty much. They're the favorite in the NFC. Um, so yeah, if you like it, I mean, plus 750, you, maybe you get to the Super Bowl, you can hedge on the other team and you can get yourself an arbitrage, especially if the Bucks are favored in that game. Maybe you can catch an AFC team as a dog, depending on who makes it. But, uh, yeah, good team. Shouldn't really surprise us too much, except for there's, you know, if there's injury, but that's going to do it for me. That's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. That was my Bucks breakdown. Uh, we will almost certainly be watching this team in January. 
um, until Brady decides to either retire or die on the field. So thanks again. We're going to do the Saints next. I am excited to talk about them. I think they'll be better this year if Jameis stays healthy. I think they're potentially a playoff team. So uh, we'll keep it moving with the NFC South, and then we'll wrap this up with the Browns. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, ramble on.